You're listening to audio from Queen City Church. Thank you for joining us. We hope this message will encourage you and offer practical steps for a relationship with God that keeps getting better and better. So these last couple of weeks has been a little bit of traveling for me. But one place that I did get a chance to go to, um, I had a chance to go to uh, visit some churches out in Manila, Philippines. Anybody been out to Manila before? All right, so we got, we got a couple people who've been to the Philippines. So uh, it, w- it was great. God is doing some amazing things in Manila. Um, it was hot, but, they, uh, but it was an amazing time. But, but if anybody who's done international travel, you're probably familiar with um, having to deal with jet lag. And uh, jet lag's funny because in Manila, it is actually 12 hours ahead of the time here. And so your body has to do a bit of an adjustment. So when you get there, you try to stay awake and then um, you go to sleep at the regular time. Um, but what happens, at least what happens in my body, is that I wake up at about 1.30 a.m. and then I realize that it's not morning yet. So I try to go back to sleep, wake up again at 2 a.m. Say, okay, it's still not morning time. Wake up about 3 a.m. By the time you get up about 3 a.m., you're just like, you know what, I'm up. And so you feel real spiritual by seeking the Lord early in the morning. But right when your body is beginning to adjust to the time, guess what time it is? It's time to get right back on a plane and come back to Cincinnati. And so my body has been confused for a couple of weeks now. But here's how jet lag works. Jet lag is, is, is a challenge because even though you might be in one place, your body is still operating on a rhythm of where you used to be, not where you are. And what I've realized is that sometimes, even as followers of Jesus, we can find ourselves dealing with what I like to call a bit of spiritual jet lag. While we may be people who love God, who are in the church, that want to do great things for the kingdom of God, sometimes we can find ourselves operating based on the rhythm of where we used to be rather than operating based on where God wants to bring us to. And so what God does through his word is he begins to recalibrate us so that we can begin to operate in the kingdom zone. And so my hope today is that as we get into the word, God would begin to recalibrate us even more so to his kingdom. And we're going to do that by looking at a parable in Matthew chapter 13. In fact, there's a series of parables in Matthew chapter 13 that have this phrase, the kingdom of heaven is like. And and, and as we look at this parable, it's going to show us something about the nature of the kingdom of God that I believe is essential for us to become the people that God has called us to be. So if you can, turn with me to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13, and we're going to look in verses 31 and 32. Matthew 13, verses 31 and 32. He presented another parable to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. And this is smaller than all other seeds. But when it is full grown, it is larger than the garden plants, It becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. I'm going to title this sermon today, God Doesn't Need Much. God doesn't need much. And I want us to to hear this phrase because we're going to come back to this phrase throughout the course of the sermon. And my hope is that you'll find yourself walking through your kitchen or walking through work and this phrase just hits you. But here's here's the thought. God does not need something big to do something great. I know that was so simple that we can miss it, but I want you to catch this. God 
does not need something big to do something great. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I'm praying today that you would open our hearts. And God, that Holy Spirit, that you would be the supernatural translator to speak to our hearts what it is that we need to hear. I'm asking, God, that you would give us ears to hear, that you would give us a mind to understand, and that you would give us a heart to obey. If anything has clogged our ears, has clouded our minds, or hardened our hearts, we ask, God, that by your grace you would remove it, that we might hear from you. In Jesus' name, amen. When we look here in Matthew chapter 13, there are a series of parables that Jesus is using. And and I love parables because what Jesus does is he takes everyday, ordinary life to help illuminate kingdom principles. And he's using these agricultural references to speak to people who are living in an agricultural society. And so in the first parable, we didn't look at this, and we're not going to spend a lot of time here, but we see the parable of the sower. It lets us know that, that the sower sows the word. He goes out to different types of grounds, and the grounds um, represents the conditions of our hearts. And, and, and he sows the different kinds of seed. And in that parable, the seed represents the word of God. And then you go a little bit later in Matthew chapter 13, you see the parable of the wheat and tares. And in this parable, what you find is that Jesus, he, um, he, he speaks about the world as the field. The evil one sows the tares. The tares represents the children of the evil one, but the, the, the good seed is the children of the kingdom of God. So in the first parable, the seed represents the word of God. And in the second parable, the seed represents the children of God. And now in this third parable, the seed represents the kingdom of God. He compares the kingdom of heaven to a mustard seed. Now, if you've grown up in the church and maybe you've heard this story or heard this parable before, you probably don't bat an eye at the fact that Jesus would use a mustard seed to compare the kingdom of of heaven. But I want you to think about the shock value that it would have been like for somebody to hear God comparing, Jesus comparing his kingdom to a mustard seed. Wouldn't it seem a little bit more fitting if Jesus said, the kingdom of heaven is like the vastness of the ocean? That would seem fitting, right? Or or maybe the kingdom of heaven is like the strength of a mountain. Or the kingdom of heaven is like the splendor of the temple. Those things would have seemed a little bit more fitting. But, But what is it about a mustard seed that teaches us about the kingdom of heaven? He says the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, and it's not just a mustard seed, but is a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. We'll revisit this idea later, but the idea of a mustard seed doesn't really produce much if it stays on a shelf, because a mustard seed has to get planted. And so as we go a little bit further in verse 32, he says this, and this is smaller than all other seeds, but when it is full grown... It is larger than the garden plants and becomes a tree. So so let's just pause here for a moment. There's a contrast in verse 32 with the seed. There's a contrast between what the seed starts off as and what the seed becomes. It starts off as smaller than, but it becomes larger than. Now, some of you who are avid Googlers, you might look and say, well, hold up, pastor. 
This says that the mustard seed is the smallest of the seeds, but I know because Google told me and I went to science class that there are seeds that are smaller than the mustard seed. Well, let me just tell you this, that the mustard seed would have been the smallest seed that the typical Palestinian farmer would have used. And so Jesus is speaking a language that people can understand. Aren't you glad that Jesus knows how to meet us right where we are? And so he, he, he meets us right where we are, and he's letting them know, listen, it starts off small. It starts off insignificant. It starts off easy to overlook. But just because it starts off small does not mean that it ends that way. Why? Because God does not need something big to do something great. And what we find in this parable is that he's helping us to understand that while the mustard seed may start off as small and insignificant, it grows big. And in between smaller than and larger than is growth. But here's what I want us to notice, that when it talks about the, the, the mustard seed, and remember he's helping us to understand what the kingdom of heaven is like, is that it's not just the benefit for the mustard seed when it grows big. Let's, let's look at this again here in verse 32. It says, it is larger than the garden plants and, and by the way, that word garden plants really speaks of a shrub. It would have been about 10 to 12 feet tall. And becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. You, you see, it's not just the mustard seed that benefits from the growth of the mustard seed. It is the economy all around the mustard seed that benefits. The bird is now able to find a place to nest and to rest because of the growth. What are you trying to say, Brian? Here's what I'm saying is that when the kingdom of God takes root and bears fruit, it is not just the people in the church that benefit, but society benefits. This is why it's important for Queen City Church to become all that God is calling the church to become. Because when Queen City Church flourishes, the city of Cincinnati and beyond flourishes. See, at our church, we don't just want to become big so we can say, look, we got more numbers. No, no, we want to grow. Why? Because as we grow, the city benefits. When you're talking about serve the city, it's not just your church that's going to benefit, but Cincinnati becomes better. Now, you might look and say, well, hold up, hold up, hold up. I've heard of a lot of things that have been done in the name of Christianity that has not been beneficial to society. Maybe you got that from Google, too. But let me just say this. There is a difference between things that are being done in the name of Christianity and that which is truly the kingdom of Christ. When the kingdom of Christ grows and flourishes, people and society around benefits. Now, I want to look at something here, some of the language in verse 32, because I didn't pick up on this when I first knew this parable. I had to actually find this out a little bit later. But in verse 32, Jesus is making a reference to something that would have been said hundreds of years earlier. He says, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Well, this is similar language to what we find hundreds of years earlier in the book of Daniel. In Daniel chapter 4, this is during a time where the, the children of Israel were in captivity to Babylon. And there's a king there called Nebuchadnezzar, and he had this huge kingdom, but he also had a dream. And in this dream or vision, he needed some help trying to discern what God was speaking to him in this vision. So I want to go back here to Daniel chapter 4 and just read a couple of verses in 11 and 12. Can we do that? All right, I'm going to assume you said yes because I got a mic. All right, verse 11. 
It says, the tree grew large and became strong, and its height reached to the sky, and it was visible to the end of the whole earth. Its foliage was beautiful, and its fruit abundant, and in it was food for all. The beast of the field found shade under it, and the birds of the sky dwelt in its branches, and all living creatures fed themselves from it. Isn't that interesting? Why would Jesus use language from Daniel chapter 4 to help describe the nature of the kingdom of God in Matthew chapter 13? Well, well, here's, what, here's what's happening in this vision. The vision is helping Nebuchadnezzar know how expansive the kingdom that he had was going to become. And if you know anything about the history of Babylon, it became a great, great kingdom. I mean, it wasn't just a kingdom. It was a kingdom of kingdoms. It was a, a, a kingdom that was so vast that other nations and other peoples were going to be under the rule and reign of that kingdom. But here's the thing, that as the, as the vision went on, what they found was that as great as the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar was, is that eventually that kingdom was going to come to an end and another kingdom was going to come up. And so this is what we have to understand. There is a difference between the kingdom of man and the kingdom of heaven. As great as the kingdom of man may become, it will always be temporary. That's why when we're doing the work of the Lord, we're not trying to build our kingdom. We're working for his kingdom. Because man's kingdom will always be temporary, no matter how grand it may be during a time. But God's kingdom will never end, which is why it tells us in Isaiah chapter 9 that to the increase of his kingdom, there will be no end. That's why we read in, in places like Revelation chapter 11, verse 15, where it says, The kingdoms of this world have become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And so Jesus is helping us to understand something about the nature of the kingdom, is that while it may start off small and seemingly insignificant, it's going to grow and grow and grow, and there's going to be a kingdom where other kingdoms will have to bow in its knee to it, and it will never, ever end. So what we find is that this is not just a parable. It is an actual picture of the growth of the kingdom of God. When, when Jesus first comes onto the scene in his earthly ministry, you could say, well, he, he came into the scene in Genesis chapter 1. But when, 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 he, when he first started his earthly ministry, he, he started with a proclamation. He said, repent and believe for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. You'll see this in Matthew chapter four, verse 17. You'll see this in Mark chapter one, verse 15. Jesus is making a proclamation about the kingdom. Now, after Jesus, the son of God made a proclamation as powerful as the kingdom of heaven is at hand, what would you expect to happen next? The heavens opened, the angels began to sing, Jesus just began to float over the surface of the, of the ground, and, and, and now all these amazing things are beginning to happen. Wouldn't you expect that that's the kind of thing that happens next? But you know what Jesus does next, Matthew 4, 18 through 22? He walks by a sea in Galilee, and he sees some fishermen, and he tells them, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Now, let me just tell you, if I was, if, 
By the way, Jesus doesn't ask my opinion about how I think things should be done, by the way. I don't know. Maybe you have that kind of relationship with him. He doesn't necessarily get my advice like, hey, Brian, how should I do this? He, he just kind of, you know, he acts like he's Lord because he is. But if I was giving him my advice, which he never asked for, I would say, Jesus, if you're getting ready to launch a kingdom, here's how you do it. You go not to some obscure place like Galilee. You need to go to the epicenter of where everything is happening. You need to go to the places of royalty. You need to go to the places of wealth. You need to go to the places where there's military might. If you want to start this kingdom and you want to get it rolling, you need to make sure all the heavens and all the angels in heaven are going to go. Don't show up to the, these, these shepherds. I mean, they don't have any status. You need to show up to the people that have really big influence because that's how man thinks kingdoms need to be started. But I want to let you know that God does not need something big in order to do something great. And so as you look here, what we find is that we see that the kingdom started with just a few men that were fishermen, by the way, um, not even rabbis, and, and, and they, were, they, they, they began to walk with Jesus. And notice he said, follow me and I will make you into something. It's not become something, then start following Jesus. Sometimes that's the mentality that we have is that I'll become something really important, then I'll do something for Jesus. Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you into what I want you to be. I don't need much to work with. And as they came and followed him, what you'll find is that um, as, as time went on, people started following Jesus. You know what? You, you began raising some people from the dead and giving them some all-you-can-eat fish dinners. Then guess what's going to happen? Your popularity is going to grow. People are going to start coming around. People started to see, okay, now I, I see the, the crowds. But Jesus was never fooled by the numbers and never fooled by the crowds because he was building a kingdom. And then after Jesus died on the cross, was raised back up to life, and he ascended back up to the Father, I want you to pick up on a few things that happens in the early church. By the way, pay attention to some of the numbers, the language of numbers in, in, in the book of Acts. It, it says in Acts chapter 1, verse 15, that there were 120 people with them. But then you go a little bit later in Acts chapter 2, in the day of Pentecost, when the Spirit is poured out, it tells us in Acts chapter 2, verse 41, that 3,000 people were added to their number. Pretty good day of ministry, right? You go a little bit further in Acts chapter 5, verse 14. Here's what it says in Acts 5, 14. It says, and increasingly believers in the Lord, large numbers of men and women were being added to their number. So what's happening? It started off in mustard seed form, but over time, what began to happen? More added. There's growth in the kingdom. It is growing. It is becoming more and more. And then we get to the point where we get to the end of the book in Revelation chapter 7. And in Revelation chapter 7, I want to read this to you. Um, look in here, verses 9 and 10. Here's what it says. It says, And after these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude which no one could count. Listen, we went from a few fishermen by the Sea of Galilee to a multitude that no one could count. A great multitude which no one could count from every nation great name. And all tribes and peoples and tongues standing before the throne and before the lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the lamb. 
Do you realize that that is, that is what the kingdom of God is growing into? So even when it looks like, man, the, is, the, is the church going to make it and thrive in the midst of COVID? Is the, is the church going to make it? Man, it seems like numbers might be kind of going. No, 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 no. God's kingdom continues to grow because he operates from the mustard seed principle. It says he does not need something big to do something great because in between smaller than and greater than, God brings kingdom growth. Now, why is it important that we understand this principle? See, this is not just meant for us to have just mental knowledge and say, well, hey, that's, that's, that's nice to know. Okay, the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed. It's important for us to understand this because if we don't, we can find ourselves overlooking what God wants to do right in front of us because we're looking for the big and we're looking for the shiny. We're looking for the things that seem big and it's like, no, no, no. No, you're missing it. Think about how many people missed Jesus in his time. I know we like to think that if I was in Jesus' time, I would have I known, like, oh, that's, that's Jesus, you know. He, you know, he, he's got the special sandals, and he's walking right here. That's, that's the one that I'm going to follow right there. But there was a lot of people that missed it because they were looking for here. And he came like a mustard seed. And so I, I, want you, I want you to fill in this blank. You'll see it on the screen. If I only had more blank, I would be used for the kingdom of God. Sometimes we can find ourselves maybe even doing comparisons with other people. If I had the resources that that person had, if I had the, the, the talent and the gifting that that person had, then I would be able to do it. But I want you to understand uh, uh, something here is that um, God doesn't need something big to do something great. So whatever you have in that blank could very well be the excuse that keeps you from being able to see God's kingdom right in front of you. Let me, let me, let me just look at a couple of things that, and this is not an exhaustive list, but here's a few things that I think perhaps keeps us blinded to the nature of the kingdom of God at work in our midst. Sometimes we could think, man, if I only had more platform. If I had more likes, if I had more followers, if I had more titles, if I had more numbers, if I had more people that liked me, if I had more stuff, then guess what? Then I would be able to be used by God. And here's the thing. God will use your platform, but God doesn't need a platform. Sometimes, you know how we can kind of think about Jesus, uh, and, and maybe I say we, and maybe it's not you, but maybe it's the person next to you. You don't have to look at him. But, you know, sometimes we can, think of, we can think of things like, you know, Jesus is really just hoping that that next celebrity or that person that has a really big, you know, um, social media platform, that they would finally just tip your hat to Jesus. Just give me a shout out. Just, just mention me in the Grammys and, and I'll be so happy. Just tell people that you know me. And like Jesus is just desperate for our platform so he can be made known. Jesus doesn't need our platform. He was unimpressed with people who had platforms, in fact. I think Jesus specializes in taking ordinary people to do extraordinary things. And so I just want to encourage you, just in case your platform is not as big as you hope it will one day be, and just in case you might feel like I'm not the most popular person, I don't have the right ratio of following and being followed. You know how sometimes people want to keep that ratio there, that uh, 
you guys are more spiritual, than, but the other people are like that, right? Um, but, but just in case you find yourself there, I want to let you know that God does not need something big to do something great. Some of you might say, well, hold up. I don't need more platform, but I could use some more resources. Maybe you could use more time. Maybe you could use more money, right? It's like, well, God, if, if only we had more money, we could do something. It was like, when, when, I get more, when I get more time, you, you ever had that, that, that thought in your mind? You're like, when things slow down, then I'm really, it's like that book that you've been waiting to read or that thing that you've been waiting to do. It's like, when my schedule slows down, I like to say that sometimes, just kind of to tease myself. When my schedule slows down, sometime, somewhere, okay, I may not have all the time in the world. What time do I have in front of me right now? I may not have all the money in the world, but what resources have God, has God given me? Because we can think, well, you know what? I'm going to start becoming generous when I get to a certain place financially. When we finally get to this place in our, in our, in our finances and we have this much of a cushion, then we're going to start living a generous life. But I want to let you know that God can take five loaves and two fish and multiply to feed thousands. Because God does not need much. He doesn't need something big to do something great. Maybe you're not looking at that and you're saying, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with resources and all, but, but really what I need is more faith. Now, this is tricky because we all want to grow in our faith, right? That was a great chance to say, yeah. I don't, yeah. We, we, we all want to grow in our faith. We, like, I want to grow in my faith. I want to be stronger. But I think sometimes we can have what a, a good friend of mine, Steve Murrow, likes to call the myth of maturity. The idea that when I finally get to this place where I'm like spiritual giants that I know of, maybe you think about, you know, Pastor Brian or some of the staff here, or maybe there's people that you've known of and you say, man, they are, they're like the Navy SEALs of Christians. And I'm just kind of like the regular type of Christian. I'm not really at that level. But if I, but when I finally get to that level, one day, one day I'm going to get there, then God can use me one day. But I want to let you know, that you don't have to wait before you finally arrive at some spiritual place of maturity before God can use you. He wants you to mature. He wants your faith to grow. But the way that I grow my muscles is not by praying, God, give me new muscles. It's by taking the muscles that I already have and beginning to exercise it. Work what you got. You know, Jesus actually used this um, language of the mustard seed um, at another point in Matthew, Matthew chapter 17. I want to read it to you here, Matthew chapter 17, verse 20. He's dealing with um, some people's, his disciples' inability to um, um, cast out a demon, but uh, so I'll skip a little bit into it. He says, for truly I say to you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, You will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible to you. Now, he's using the the language of a mustard seed to say, listen, you don't even have to have a whole lot of faith. But even a little faith in a big God will accomplish a lot. Because it's not about the size of your faith, it's about the size of the God whose your faith is placed into. And God is able to take that and use it. So when I look at this, what it does in this parable, it begins to dismantle the excuses and the lies that keeps me 
from saying, God, I wanna join what you're doing in the earth. You know, I think about Serve Day and the opportunity that you guys have next week. I'm like, man, this is gonna be amazing. And some of you may feel like, I don't know if I have a whole lot to offer. Maybe you're like me and you're like, I'm not really the most handyman in the person in the world. Maybe you're, you're looking and saying, I'm not as articulate as this person or I don't have this, but whatever that blank is that keeps you from being used in the kingdom of God, I wanna let you know that God does not need something big to do something great. So what is it that he does need? What is it that he does ask for? Well, if you go back to Matthew 13 and you look in verse 31, it says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed which a man took and sowed in his field. So it's not just that the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed, but it's a mustard seed that has been sown. Because if you want it to grow, then you're gonna have to sow. And so what that means is, is a willingness to take whatever it is that God has given you and saying, God, I will take this and I will faithfully sow it into the kingdom of God. So God, take my resources. Take the faith that I have. God, I want my faith to be stronger, but God, this is what I have right now. So God, would you use the faith that I do have? Take the time that I do have. God, take the money that I do have. God, take the platform that I do have. God, I might only have five followers, including my family. But God, you can use that. Use what I have for your glory. Because God, my life in your hands is worth more than what I could do on my own. So you might be looking and saying, you know what? God, I, I, wanna, I wanna give you what I have. But you know what he wants even more than your resources, even more than your time, even more than your platform? He wants your life. And maybe the thing that you need to sow into the kingdom is not just what you possess, but who you are. Because perhaps you've looked and said, God, I don't know if there's anything that I really have to offer for your kingdom. In fact, you may come into a room this size and you may feel like I just kind of blend in in the back and I don't, I don't really have that much. Nobody's gonna miss me if I'm here or if I'm not here. It doesn't really make much of a difference, but I wanna let you know that God sees you and God knows who you are. And while you might feel like your life equates to a mustard seed right now, the good news is that God can take mustard seeds and he can take that and do something greater with it. He can take fishermen and turn them into apostles. He can take sinners and turn them into saints. He can take broken people and use them for his glory. But the question is, will we trust him with what we do have and sow our lives into his hands? Heavenly Father, I'm asking that God, you would open up our hearts in such a way that if we realize that there's been things, God, that we've been fearful of sowing into your kingdom, maybe we have looked and despised what it is that you have given us. We've been so busy looking at what we don't have that we've not realized what we do. We've looked for the big, we've looked for the shiny, we've looked for the important. And you've said, no, no, I'm looking for the mustard seed of faith. 
Because God, you could do something great even with something little. So Lord, today, we take our mustard seeds and we sow it into your work. Use us for your glory. Use us for your purposes. Let your kingdom come in Cincinnati as it is in heaven. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. If there's anything in your life that we can pray for, please visit queencitypeople.com slash prayer. For the latest updates on our church, follow us on social media at Queen City People or visit queencitypeople.com.